Hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, joined by Andrew Harlick, and this is going to be episode 109 with Kenny from the directing trio Shinola. In this episode, Kenny makes a very rare appearance to tell us the story of Shinola's a formation, the importance of filtering your feed of creative inspiration, along with having an opinionated and sometimes critical voice in your career. We also discuss what Shinola has been up to for the past couple years and where they're going. So here we go, everyone. Episode 109. Let's roll. So let's kind of talk about Shinola as a company and are like a collective group of um, what sounds like from the outside as a group of friends who um, have a creative similarities and like working with one another. Is that kind of the synopsis of what's going on? No, that's exactly it. We were uh, friends first at uh, art school. And you know, I mean, you gravitate towards people who've got similar tastes in music and films and, you know, art. And then you hang out together and what have you. And then we lived together in a house and we all used to make bits of art together. And unbeknownst to us, we were sort of sowing the seed for being Shinola where we would, you know, we would do paintings together. We used to make comics and all sorts of anything really make our films together, but also do things where we would, we do games like art games, like um, um, exquisite corpse and things like that, where we would be drawing on top of each other's drawings and painting bits out and doing canvases together. And it sort of taught us not to be precious and not and to get rid of your ego. You know, when you're working together, I might do something, but you might paint over it and draw something else. And I've got to accept that that's cool. Or at least that's your decision to, sure. to fuck up my bit. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, and so that may, means you're, uh, you know, I think if you start a company with the intention of making work with strangers, no matter how talented they are, um, it can run aground, I think, plus of ego and I don't know, you know, when, when we're not working, we're just still friends just hanging out. It's not, it doesn't feel like a job at yeah. all. That's the key, right? I think that's the essence of keeping it fun and enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had shit jobs before today, and um, you would you would get to like eleven o'clock in the morning, and you'd be thinking, you're looking at your watch, going, "When's it break time?" You know, and then mm. after break, you're looking at your watch, thinking, "When's it lunch time?" And then when's it home time? And it's m- usually the case in Shinola is that you look at your watch and think, "Oh my god." It's evening already. The day's just gone. Fuck. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that's, if you can get a job that's like that. Uh, that's the best way. When time that means stands you're still. Fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really the essence of what we're after. You know, anytime that I collaborate with somebody that's memorable and enjoyable, it's always that's one of the main key factors is does time stand still? And why does it? It's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, is is it enjoyable? You know, do you actually want to get out of bed and get on with it? Absolutely. It's a drag if you feel like, oh my god, I don't really want to have to do this. <laughs> I, I pity people who have jobs like that. I mean, I know not everyone can have a cool job. It doesn't have to be cool. My dad um, was like a carpenter, and he got paid a pittance, you know, and was laid off like a month before 
to retire. Just total shit, really. But um, he was so happy doing his job. He loved going to work and building things. Even though he didn't get paid much money, he didn't care. He enjoyed doing it. That you know, I, f- I feel sorry for people who um, don't, don't like their jobs. It's all, just, it's all choice. So much of your working, your waking day is working, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a choice. And and what's I think what's interesting about art, and maybe the way that I look at art and I consume it, or creativity from other people, is uh, those feelings really really resonate with me. So that was my kind of theory as to how you guys operate. And it's cool to hear that it's kind of that's what it is. It's, it's a group of people that enjoy working with one another, creating unique things and going off and enjoying that process because. Yeah. As and, you and don't get me wrong. We, uh, we argue all the time <laughs> and our tastes in music have diverged probably more than when we met. Um, you know, I think we we're all pavement fans when we met, but none of us listen to pavement anymore. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think it's like in a relationship with your partner, it's good to have differences as well as similarities. You know, it's actually what makes it interesting and you can spark off each other and inspire each other or piss each other off and it's all part of it. Yeah, checks and balances and, and help one another, I guess, in a way. Um, well, even not, if, you, if you make like a circle jerk, you're not going to make anything <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing, as they say, nothing good ever came out of a circle jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Except a bunch of dirty shoes <laughs> and sticky feet. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at the formula too, because um, having somebody that's there that you respect as well is really, really key. Um, wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. And someone who you can have an argument with, because often what will happen is one of us will have an idea and we've all got to make that idea together so you've got to say hey this is my idea and then someone else will say well that's shit or they'll say <laughs> or they'll say well yeah how about we do that but then we also do this like and take it a step further or just twist it in any direction to make it better and but it also is like a bullshit filter because then you you've got to basically you know say this is what my idea is and if it doesn't hold water then it quickly becomes apparent yeah better to do that in the sort of uh, testing grounds of your friends rather than carry it on always duty at the end and then release it and find out it was shit all along and what you're saying articulating is very complex human interaction based on communication and the way that you maneuver that is really key and essential to the final outcome wouldn't you say yeah but then you know also i think we're kind of over analyzing it Sure. You know, we're three mates and like, you know, if you say a joke, then your mate will say a joke that tries to top that joke. <laughs> you see what I mean? It's just, it's just back and forth more natural than what we're, the way we're describing it. I think you just sure. don't really think about it. Well, I think right now what I'm doing as, as an outsider is just freeze framing things and trying to articulate little f- unique moments you know there there is like as you say it's there are lots of unknowns and it can be very abstract but at the same time 
um, there is some similarities like between these things that what I'm getting at too is like from doing so many interviews from so many people and articulating different things. Like there seems to be a pattern from my perspective as an outsider asking questions and then getting these uh, answers back. There's been a consistency, I think, with certain things that I enjoy personally or that are um, somewhat popular, I suppose, or um, and a lot of that comes down to, like you said, just the honesty of things and just enjoying what you're doing. It feeds into the creative process itself. So, which is really cool. Uh, let me ask you a question. Is that, is that informative to you? Like to, to hear other people talk about their process? Yeah. I always find it quite interesting. Yeah. That's, that's one of the designs of this uh, podcast project basically is, is dissecting and understanding um, how others work and think over, you know, different yeah. projects and, and completely, I mean, I have some people that work completely different from that. Um, some people that are, it's completely painful and really shitty and some people that's yeah. really enjoyable with just friends and, um, you can feel that in the work, you know? So at least from my perspective, no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm always interested in hearing about how other people work I, I went through a phase of reading lots of like and it was quite interesting to see you know sometimes i would think really you know when they describe their process so i think that doesn't make any sense to me um, <laughs> but then there was some other people where i would really think oh yeah that 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 makes there's a logic to that and i i really try even if i didn't necessarily like that filmmaker's work but I, I often find that people aren't very honest about in these sort of interviews about how they work. I think I just watched, um, I was listening to while I was working today, like a, there's some cobbled together thing from all those junkets they do. Cause it's the, can you believe this? It's like the 10th anniversary of Christopher Nolan's band. 10, what, 10 years in, since the first yes, one? Well, 10 years gone. What the fuck? Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the first, old. The first one he says, yeah, no, the first. Yeah, the well, first, first Christopher Nolan one, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And but it was someone's edited together this thing on YouTube where it's it's a feat. It's like a hundred minutes of interviews about um, the making of it. And I just was listening to it today while I was working. And at the end of it, I just thought, well, I've, I've learned absolutely fucking nothing, zero. <laughs> Why, Christopher is- Nolan, in particular, is is pretty good at talking shit. Like, yeah, just he is. Yeah, I've heard giving that. it all that about like. Oh yeah, I just really wanted to make a big story. I think I've made a big story. I'm just thinking, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's just, um, just. I think people get really guarded about their creative process, partly because I think people don't really understand uh, how it works themselves. But I'm always fascinated to hear how other people do it. He's extremely guarded, from what I understand. I think he doesn't even have a cell phone, um, from what I've heard. And uh, they only have, um, they only print out, they don't ever email scripts. They print them out and you have to come and read them like within their presence in a safe room, I think, which makes total what? sense. He's trying to, har- he's trying he's try- to he's trying to be some sort of bloody wizard. What is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, he's trying to cherish like Christmas morning, you know? Like, yeah, like the problem I think with films, there's many things and I don't want to rant, but like one of them is, is the the full exposure of a film in, in three minute trailers, um, just to get you to the theater. 
um, you, what you've done is you've basically right. um, bastardized the experience into um, a short experience. It doesn't even make any sense and you shouldn't even do it. But I think what he's, uh, when you, I don't know, I mean, as, as big as he is from my understanding is he's, he's one of the last big directors that we have that's able to push these huge projects through. Um, you know, Greg, um, there's, there's only a handful of those guys now. And I think preserving that is really essential for his process, you know, which is, he is very, I've noticed the same thing with him. He's not like a David Fincher. Where he's oh yeah. Like, no, oh, listen, I'm not looking him. Don't get me wrong. No, of course. Yeah. He's awesome. No, I mean, I get that. And I think, I think there's something about that sort of Stanley Kubrick thing where you, you don't, I mean, I think he was like uh, acutely shy uh, I'm, I'm just not basically interested in, in doing that sort of thing, but um, you you build up an enigma too, which actually is really useful to you as an artist. Um, same with like someone like Chris Morris, you know, you can barely find a single interview with him, mm-hmm. and that makes him this sort of um, almost like a mythical creature. Yeah, and I've actually met him. He's got he's got horses legs. Yeah, I, I met him one time too. I saw a uh, screening of Four Lions, and he was there. It's pretty awesome to see a Q and A with him. Hmm. I like that though. Do you do you um, do you err on the side? Do you guys err on the side of not doing you know public interviews? I mean, this this is obviously um, a step in the opposite direction of that obscurity. I guess <laughs> well, it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going to end. I'm going to end this right now. Yeah, um, I'm over this. <laughs> to be honest, uh, but we don't get. Ask that often to actually do these things. So, I yeah, can't let's help do it. Be flat. Let's yeah, do I'm it. surprised it took us so long because I am a, such a huge fan, and um, I know we know kind of similar people, and we we kind of work in a similar circle. So it's ironic that it's taken this long, but it makes sense. Andrew was actually pointing out I never comment on Vimeo ever, but he found a comment I made on your video like way back, and I was like, oh, this is great. You know, like, I, I never do. Like I probably made two comments drunk. on Vimeo ever. Yeah, so it's super fanboy status. Comments, comments on comments on Vimeo, Vimeo are weird, aren't they? They're sort of it's all people sort of usually saying, oh, it's great, no matter if it's great or not. People just slapping each other on the back. It's yeah, interesting. Uh, and, and if someone actually says, "Oh, that's crap," then you get everyone pounces on them. It says, "How dare you say?" Get out of here, you YouTuber, <laughs> you fucker! Yeah, you know, ban this user. Yeah, go to YouTube with that shit. <laughs> yeah, YouTube's like, oh, you- it's gnarly. Yeah, everyone's taking the piss on YouTube, <laughs> and if one person says something nice, they all jump on them like, "Oh, why do you go?" So- it? <laughs> <laughs> it's completely opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I opt to use Vimeo just because it's less shattering. But I, I actually don't read the comments ever. I try not to. They can be destroy. <laughs> they try. can be destroying. <laughs> that was that was revealing, to be honest. I don't ever read them. I try not to. Do you? You do you read them? <laughs> you do. <laughs> Shut your mouth. I read a little bit, a couple of them. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you can't help but read them. I'm always fairly interested. I like, you know, sometimes reading comments on other people's videos is, is usually better than the video. Yeah. It's more <laughs> the comment chain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is there, is there um, a certain commentary or a director or somebody um, that you get a lot of enjoyment out of listening to their process? Um, there's a writer... I once read a really good interview with, what's his name? His name's Frank Cottrell 
what's his name? Frank Cottrell. Okay, you're going to have to cut this part of the interview because I can't remember his name. What's his name? The guy who used to write with them. For, um, oh, man. Danny Boyle. Oh, he uh, used to write Garland? It's Frank. No, no, it's called Frank Cottrell Boyce, I think his name is. He's okay. a writer here in the UK, and he writes kids' books too now, I think. And um, when he was describing, um, he was just talking about some of his projects and talking about how he went about writing, and that really, it was the only time where I, it, I kind of thought, well, that sounds like I've written that, you know, what he was saying. It really sounded like, very similar to my opinion. Uh, but it's rare that you, you find that, you know, I think, as I was saying before, sometimes you read about someone's process and you think, really? Why did you think that was ever going to work? You know, that's such a weird, ass backwards way of doing it. Sure. You know, you've got to sort of respect that because they still get the job done. So it just goes to show there's more than, there's no real um, true way of doing anything. Mm. Except but the right way. you've got to find your own way. <laughs> yes, yeah, set my way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's absolutely true. Is the right way. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. finding the the you know the anomaly of the question, like once you get to the end of a project, and projects are never done. But if you think about all the factors it takes, just let's look at case study for example, is your film Doctor Easy? Like the amount of time and exchange of energy and emails and information and files, I, it's crazy. I mean, I, I wasn't a part of that, but I can only imagine it was quite significant, you know, the exchange yeah, of energy. I on that. Yeah. I maybe, yeah, I think maybe six months we were working on that for like what is, I don't know how long it is, 10 minutes. It's a um, very, yeah, it's long. Yeah. It's, uh, but no, but that's, that's not a lot. <laughs> 10 minutes to squeeze 10 minutes. It's like when you, when you make, try and make a squeeze some fruit juice, the amount of fruit. <laughs> The amount of fruit you've got to put in there to get like a thimble full of juice. <laughs> oh yeah, it's incredibly the the return on investment is ridiculous. You know, uh, yeah, you might you you could sit and do a setup for a shot for two three days and plan it, and then you get you know ten seconds worth of material. It's really ridiculous the return. Not everybody's like that though. Some people are very controlled and they want to have this certain thing, and some people don't. You know, so. How is it for you guys when you're on location shooting, for example, let's use Dr. Easy for, as a case study. Um, what's the creative process for like you guys and then on location? How does that work? And I want to talk a bit about your recent hot, uh, hot chip song as well, too, because I think that was a really cool video. So, Well, we, w- we went through a little phase where I was trying to um, I was trying to force us not to storyboard things because mm. I felt often you could you could see the storyboard in the finished piece of work. Yeah, you ever yeah. think that you can actually, oh, yeah, absolutely. Can actually see the, um, and so I was trying to make it so that we were a bit looser, you know, that we thought everything through beforehand. We're always sort of meticulous planners and we're heavy thinkers, you know, beforehand, nothing's really left to chance to a certain degree, or, you know, you can be, um, spontaneous on set, but it's within parameters that you've already sort of defined because you've already, you, you, you can quickly say, oh, no, you know, we're, we're going too far off the rails here. Yeah. Um, but then what we f- what we found with all of our projects is we never have any time to actually shoot these things. Like, it's always like a kickbollock scramble to make them. And on the hot chip video, 
And on the new one that we just shot um, last week, it, like the, this, this new one we just did, we, they said we did 80 setups in a day, which I don't <laughs> think is true. I think it was 70-something. Wow. But someone said it was over 80. And wow. it was fu- fucking crazy. And, yeah, you know, that's fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that's way crazy. Mm. <laughs> I know. And is that a 12-hour day or what? what? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we – no, it was a bit longer than that, actually. Yeah, 14. Yeah, I think so. So um, break that into 80. So, yeah, that's a lot. You guys are moving fast. Yeah, and then you would sort of – whenever we can, it's just like you do one take, and if you think you've got it, on to the next thing quickly. Are you, you editing think, you in know. your head too, putting it all together? And do you do well? In so, in, so, so in this, what because we had so so little time to do this one, we actually pre-planned it and made a animatic beforehand. Okay. So we kind of felt more confident that we were going to get what we needed. Sure. Um, I we I don't think you could have turned up on set and without a plan and do eighty setups. It's just impossible. <laughs> no, that's yeah, it's not uh, happening. <laughs> and so yeah, it was. It was crazy. But yeah, we find that, that we've never actually, you know, fingers crossed we'll get to make a film and then maybe the pace will slow down a little bit and there where you can sort of actually sit and think and and rework something actually there on set. But it's often the case that we've got to have pre-planned it and edited it in our own heads before we even get to set. Yeah, flying um, through it. Yeah. But then what you try and do is still, you know, improvise and still be open to um doing extra things yes um your t- the topic of touching on what you're saying articulating about the idea of not using storyboards because you feel it in the work um i love to talk a little bit more about that because a lot of times i can feel that in films i can feel like oh like this is totally planned and it's very flat um but sometimes it's not and it's just you know like if you're george lucas and you're trying to create star wars and nobody knows what the hell that is you kind of have to do it so people understand it, but then at what yeah, point it, do you it, it makes a lot more that, sense. You know? It makes a lot more sense. I think if you're doing um, action or sure. um, visual effects, things. complete worlds. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's something where it's very complicated. I think I saw a, like a previous edit of some of the fights from the raid. I think it was. Oh yeah. And make, and it's just some people in a room, but they're doing the moves, and there's a vague. Uh, sense of what the camera angles are going to be it's not just like filmed from afar they've gone in you know and during the rehearsal he's filmed it and then tried cutting it together and so actually he knows it's going to work and i think with action and and special effects you know i think that's really important but i read a thing once where um it was the coen brothers and it said whether or not this is actually true but it said they at that time they storyboarded their film entirely Hmm. And which one three, was this uh, I think it was um, it may have been the Big Lebowski wow I think uh, but they said they storyboarded it but then they throw the storyboard away yeah <laughs> yeah. You, which, you, which sounds crazy have, but yeah <laughs> it sounds crazy but that's that's a clever thing to do I think that you basically you've, you've worked it all out in your head and yeah. actually you can make revisions and discover things and realize things are shit before it's too late yeah um and make things better but then also then just discard it but you armed with that knowledge you can then more confidently shoot you know what's in front of you i think that's a that's the best of both worlds really and that's yeah, kind of what so we do. Well, that's what we've done on our music videos recently is that we'll we sort of storyboard what we think is the minimum to tell the story if we get these shots then we're fine 
but then also often we'll combine shots or we'll find a more interesting angle than what we envisaged or we'll find a way of doing it telling two things in one shot you know or the the actor can do something that that we couldn't do in a drawing sure and that comes with um yeah because i've noticed that in your work that's us bringing up the hot chip thing because the hot chip video is doing a lot of things it's explaining a lot of things the ones that's on your site um it's 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 a very complicated but very simple story but at the same time it's conveyed in a very unique way but there is a lot going on and um i was just curious to see about how you guys are going about creating that and and but it makes a lot of sense now that you're explaining how that is because but that one had to be really strictly storyboarded because you know if you know anything about shooting you don't shoot in chronological order yeah so so it sucks i wish you could (laughs) it's the worst (laughs) everyone i think most you know the layman will think that this is sort of happening and it's being filmed live but that's just not how it works you you some people do it i imagine but yeah i think the very first thing that we filmed was him sneaking out of the house wearing the orange coat oh it was the that was like the first shot that we did yeah and, <laughs> and so and it was something like that which had like three fractured timelines and then yep. you're then basically cutting the, that up into confetti and throwing it up in the air <laughs> storyboard it was yeah. absolutely crazy and every time we would do a setup there'd be someone saying to me shouldn't he be wearing his blue coat in this one i'm like no <laughs> don't i'm don't. trying to hold it all in my head stop <laughs> asking me these questions I yeah. know which coat is yeah, um, it, gets, it gets really complicated and you have to kind of keep a track of that, you know. And it's often the case that we're the only people on set who actually knows what the fucking hell is really going on. So well, you should be, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's your job. Sure, some, yeah, well, it is. But, you know, often you're sometimes you just want someone to actually say, um, hey, wait a minute, and actually pull you up and, and then you realize, yeah, actually you should have the blue coat off. <laughs> you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> it is something like that. And I think we're, more and more we're in our sort of live action music videos, we have a tendency to want to um, tell narratives. And that's in terms of doing music videos that are narratives, it's suicide because you don't have enough time actually to film the stuff. And then, oh, but if you drop some shots, you, know, you run the risk of your story not actually making any sense. Yeah, if you haven't got any coverage for something, you've got a hole in your story, or the whole thing's fucked. Yeah, it's not like making a performance music video where you shoot, you know, a wider the band singles and all the band members some medium <laughs> roving shots, and then just smoke a cigar. It's piece of piss doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but telling a narrative where you're trying to do eighty setups in a day—that's hardcore. Yeah, you guys are blowing, blasting through that stuff. That's crazy. That sounds kind of like when Ridley was doing Alien. I was hearing something, some numbers like that too. He's just blasting through the setups and on a, not. I don't think it was nearly eighty, but it was probably half of that. But on a film that big, I think what you're saying too is yeah, it's nice he's to an have amateur. a good. He can't do eighty. <laughs> uh, but he's he, he for in a case study example is like. Uh, Ridley actually storyboarded all of Alien before to double the budget so he could afford what he needed. Um, but then I'm not sure how I think, close... I think he still, he still storyboards now. Yeah. He still does it himself now, I think. Look. I don't know if he does it... I um... spoke to him. Uh, I spoke to him. We were supposed to be doing something with him on this. Um, he made a pilot for a TV show, but I don't think it got picked up. 
Mm. probably because it was so contentious. It was called Vatican, and it was about the inner workings of the Vatican. Oh. Uh, which, you know, if you're trying to make that in America, something yeah. that in any way criticizes the church, yeah. it's probably not not a shoe-in for getting a load of money, is it really that? It's so, complicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were meant to be working on the title sequence um, mm. for that. And I chatted to him on the phone, and he was riding around. He has like a... I, I said to him, it was like his own Pope mobile. Pope mobile. He's got like a <laughs> his car, this car with blacked out windows that he drives around in, so no one knew he was inside. Awesome. And he sort of sit, sits in the back, and he's got like a phone and a fax machine, <laughs> and um, <laughs> uh, and like you know paper and pens, and he's storyboarding, and he's you know he's very hands on that guy, and in, insanely talented. Yeah, he's an animal. He's a, he's on another level, and he's still ki- kicking it, man. He's still pushing hard on all this stuff, which is awesome because he's getting up there in age. He's, um, he just broke seventy, right? I don't know. Is that right? I hope I can still stand by that time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have a hard time doing it now at 32. So props to him. He's fucking savage. But I like his creative process, though. But I think everybody has their own unique one, as you guys are saying, too, and defining it. And, you know, if you go from one side of learning how Ridley did his thing, and then you also understand how, like, the Coen brothers did but like maybe you would agree on this one it doesn't really matter as long as you're doing it and finding it out for yourself because it's all discovery yeah i think there's only there's only one way to learn any of this stuff you know it, the, um you know people have been making films for a long time and so you would think by now we should know exactly what we're doing because we should have or learn from other people's mistakes, but that does, that's not actually how it works at all. You've no. got to, every, every new filmmaker can learn from reading and watching other people's films, but it's still pretty, it's starting from scratch. And so it, it sort of develops incrementally over time, the art form. Absolutely. Um, and you've, the only way to really learn anything is to just get on with it. You know, uh, I, I don't really feel I've been taught anything in filmmaking terms at all i i did a uh like a master's degree in animation but i wasn't really we had some lectures watching stan brackage and um too much jan spankmeyer um <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, there is but, but you're there doing is, it though yeah but then but to actually just get on and, and do the work is actually more important i think yes you have to, I mean, there's, you can only sit there for so long and do theories and read books until you actually go out and do it. That's what I always tell people too. And we're articulating and, 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 uh, dissecting films. I say, go out and do your own. Cause that will, that will tell you why they did the things that they did. You'll understand a lot more about it. What are some influential films for you? Oh my God. Cause you're learning as you watch, I'm sure, you know? Yeah, sure. I think, um, I think, well, I could be sort of uh, artily pretentious and talk about um, Kubrick and Terence Malick, but actually the thing that inspired me to actually get into this sort of business at all was as a kid, I saw like a sort of what would have been quite novel in those days, um, like a little making of of, um, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah which I think I'd gone to see with my parents because we went on a really terrible holiday on the east coast of England and it was <laughs> raining. And so they took me in to see this film and they wouldn't normally take me to the cinema. 
And I remember seeing the film and just being blown away, obviously. And then I watched this little making of um, feature on TV and I saw the people doing the little minecart chase. And it was yeah. saying, these people, you know, um, um, <laughs> made these miniature models and they're moving it along the track one frame at a time. And they take one frame and that takes a week to take one frame and then they move it on and that's two weeks. And um, <laughs> And I was just like, what? Oh my God, that's a job you can do. That is, <laughs> they're getting paid to do that. That's amazing. And it took a long, you know, that I'm, I don't know how old I was then, maybe nine, I don't know, 10, um, maybe younger than that. Uh, obviously it took a long time for me to actually get a job, but I think <laughs> yeah. that, that was, that was the seed sown right there. I, I really remember watching that and thinking, God, that doesn't seem like a re- that seems like fun. And tangentially, that's sort of what I'm doing now is pushing a little minecart along a track every day for a living. <laughs> the beauty of that is by I had the same impact as a child as well. Um, seeing like remember magazines like Imagine Effects and stuff and articulating how they were putting Godzilla on top of buildings and the dinosaurs in right. Jurassic Park and stuff. And, and then I, I thought the same thing. And I've often heard that from other professionals, even John Lasseter would say, you know, I found this book and it was about how to be an animator. And I realized, Oh, I can draw for a living. Like this is what I want to do. It's interesting, almost as if we, our story was written and then all of a sudden we turn to the page of most interest and then we go and go, Oh, this is kind of, this is what I should be doing on uh, like blind. It, it's blinding basically, you know? Also, I think well, uh, possession in, in, in those particular instances though, it's also an in like you, you know, you can watch a film and think, wow, you know, wow. What, it, it'd be amazing to be a filmmaker, to make films. Yeah. Um, like that, you know, what an, an enjoyable creative process, but how do you even go about that? But if you see someone actually just with a camera pushing in a little peg, Along, you know, <laughs> that's true it's very humbly with a, yeah and you sort of think well i can do that I'm yeah certain i can do that that's true i remember pretty building much, like pretty much what my first film was, <laughs> was basically that just pushing along a little i made a little creature and it was just moving along this little set and i shot it on super 8 and you know crap but it, it when you first get that super 8 film back developed and you project it for the first time you just think oh, holy shit it's, it's like there's some magic happening right there obtainable yeah yeah and you've you've done it you know and then immediately your next thought is well that doesn't look so good next time i won't do that you you know and you're already thinking about the next one you're going to do and building from there but you're right that's a good point to make too because i think i was building like my own models at home of toys and, and then i saw oh they're making models too oh like i can I'm not that far away from this. So, you know, and unknowing how complicated and hard it is. How do you maintain, like when you're doing these shoots and you're doing like these 80 setups a day, uh, how do you maintain? That's not uh, the norm. That was just me. That was me bragging. I'm not, uh, we don't do 80. (laughs) Yeah. There'll be a lot of commissioners now listening to this. (laughs) They're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How how do you maintain, how do you guys maintain? Um, cause another thing I was going to mention, or I thought was really cool and interesting about the way that you guys progress, um, as a studio or collective of friends is, um, it's obvious to me as an outsider that, um, your own personal films and those intentions are really important. Also, like, um, I think we, 
I, I don't know how it came up with the red men and all that stuff and building that out. And then Dr. Easy and all these other projects and stuff. Whereas, um, you know, how, how do you guys maintain that flow and how important is your own personal work as far as like a collaborative for you guys? I think, uh, it's m- more and more so I think because when we started out, we, um, we had a lot of personal work in our back pocket and um, you draw upon that on the things you've done previously or ideas that you've had um, and different things that you've done and you you draw upon that and put it into your commercial work. Um, but then what happens is when you've been doing commercial work for however many years you're doing it for, then that your back pocket's suddenly empty and you need to, I think you always need to have a bit of time where you're doing something that hasn't got uh, the pressure of a deadline or a client involved. You see what I mean? Um, yeah, absolutely. Where you can actually just be a bit more experimental. And also, I think if you said, okay, if I said to you, you've got a year off, you've got no work commitments, I'm going to pay your rent and everything for a year. Oof, do it. Uh, do it for me. <laughs> no, this, this is hypothetical. No, Hold no, you, you've agreed <laughs> to do this, right? <laughs> um, you know, what would you do with your time? And I think if you think about that, what you, what project you might do in that year, then you kind of know what your leaning is, you know, and then if you kind of, you've got to try and move into that area. And it's often quite hard. It took us ages and ages to get any live action work. We were desperate to get out of what we called their animation ghetto. <laughs> we, call, we, we called it that uh, because we couldn't, no, no one would come to us yeah. thinking, oh, the, the, those guys can do some live action. Well, how did you guys do action. it? Yeah, how did you guys do that? Because you, you have well, to sell we, it to them, right? Well, we'd done, we'd done some, we'd done a fair bit, actually, but we were sort of caught in an even worse trap, which was the, what we call like the green screen hybrid, where <laughs> it would be like a music video, yeah. and they'd say, oh, we want an animated music video, but the, a star needs to be in it because we were doing bigger and bigger bands sure. for, for whatever reason, you know, it's usually actually quite valid. The, the artist wants to be in it. So then you end up trying to invent all these convoluted ways of green screening them into an animated environment. <laughs> and so yeah. you, um, it's just really painful because it makes it technically difficult. And then you blow all the budget on the green screen shoot and doing all the matting and you're left with nothing, but you've still got to work just as hard. Yes, anyway, yes. So, we were, so anyway, we've done quite a lot of, live action anyway but it not pure live action and then i think we got a lucky break in that we made a video for coldplay which they absolutely loved that was your big that was one of the big things i think that put you guys on the map right with that stuff uh well i mean well it put us back on the map what had actually happened was that we spent we were doing pretty well and then we spent a few years writing and just dipped out of doing commercial work at all and i think a lot of people had sort of maybe forgotten we even existed and then we brought that <laughs> that out and it was like a big splash again awesome. so that was really useful but they were so enamored uh, with the video then they asked us to make another video for this song called paradise and they said here this here's a shit ton of money we love you guys just what what do you want to do so we wrote this idea this basically like a, a fully live action kind of like a, like a little short narrative story said this is what we want to make and they said, great. And we shot for like, it was luxurious. 
they partly because it had children in it you can only do short days but yeah. we shot for five days and we were filming on a low loader and all the cool things that we've always been wanting to do yeah and same fire things and things like that and um um they hated it they absolutely hated it and they tried <laughs> to and then when they when they saw it and they tried <laughs> to bury it and they tried to bury it and um, they were actually very gracious in the end and let us put it out and so i won't have a bad word said about them but um what that meant finally was for us is that we had some li- a live action piece on our reel and then you could say hey these guys can actually do it because to us it was like it wasn't hard to do live action we just you get pigeonholed into being oh those are the guys that do that yeah and so that so just I, oh, it feels like we're going a, a long way off your question but no but you're, se- if you're it, selling it, it, if you're selling oranges <laughs> people are like have oranges and you all say i want to sell basically, apples basically yeah. So, yeah so in terms of like um keeping your hand in creatively i think it's always important that you're trying to push in a particular direction and trying to get not just going for the same bits of work that are coming in to you, the you know, the selling the oranges. You need to actually be saying, that, but how about a banana? Actually, you know, try it. I think you're going to like it. And it's really, that's really difficult because it's usually outside of your control. You don't, you're not the commissioner. Yeah. So you may not get asked or they may not trust you to do it. Um, it's a big leap to change those of whether or not you're capable. Yeah, it's a big leap to change. Yeah, to, to, so to that get was that. so we were we got we got really lucky that we managed to sort of get a foot in that door, and then it's been easy ever since then. And now, I mean, I think we have the we have the opposite problem in a way in that we sort of pride ourselves on doing something quite different with every project. Yeah, um, and we do that um, so we don't get bored, but also to keep challenging ourselves and. I don't know. It's just become a thing for us where we're never going to repeat ourselves. That's um, good. But what that means is you're it's not really challenging, great. though. <laughs> well, it, well, it's not. It's it's very challenging from a business point of view because commissioners don't like you. Yeah. Because commissioners <laughs> want to say consistency. Oh, you know, well, we need to make this Beyonce video, and she needs to look really beautiful. So, who's the director who does really beautiful photography? Yeah, and it's not. We could do beautiful photography. It's actually the DP who does that, not yeah, the director. Does that, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. they would never. They would never call us up and ask us to do a Beyonce video ever. But we could do one. Um, do you want to though? I would. Yeah, I would want to. You want to do a Beyonce yeah. video? Yeah, why not? Well, there you go. I'm sure the universe will respond. I'm now. sure she's listening. And I'm then sure you'll be on set, listening. and you'll be like, "Fuck my life." <laughs> but you, yeah, Beyonce is actually a huge fan of this podcast. So. <laughs> she sure comments she on all of them. <laughs> she has a crush on Andrew's Chipotle obsession. <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, I think what you're saying is totally valid too. But at the same time, like if you take risks and you go out and just try to, like I, I applaud um, people that go out and take risks and re- try to reinvent themselves or explore new things. But you, like you said. There's always a saying that I hear when I do the same kind of stuff is like you can be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that's a that's yeah. kind of like a, a problem that I live with at the end of the day. I go, well, I tried all these things, but really, who am I and what am I doing? You know, so which yeah, is you- but I think, you know, I think from you know, it's definitely the case that on every project we kind of don't know what the fucking hell we're doing. That's definitely <laughs> true. You know, but yeah. you're you're, tr- you're tr- giving it 
everything you've got to try and make it work. And then I think every single um, different discipline or approach that you make or different thing that you do informs everything else. It makes you a far richer um, artist to be um, have your hand in so many different um, avenues, you know. That's, That's what we tell ourselves. Metaphor, but you- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're right, though. I think having a, an evolved palate and exploring things, I relate it to food. You know, we can easily relate to what we do to food most of the time. And it's mostly just having a palate that you've tried all these different kinds of styles and then you can make your own fusions and stuff, which is really interesting and unique. And I get a lot of that when I, when I as an outsider, consume and analyze your work i think it's it has a lot of really interesting things that are coming from multiple angles i'd love to talk a little bit about the redmond thing if you can i don't know if you can um i actually yeah, bought sure. the i bought the book oh, did you? yeah and really? I, haven't, I haven't read it though is it a good oh. book <laughs> you're all good <laughs> but oh not very good <laughs> but i did it's because an, of you guys in your project yeah. Yeah, is it? Okay, I have to. I have like 400 books on the list. I usually try to read a book a week, and um, it's on there. I think I packed it up, though, because I'm moving. Um, oh, okay. But Yeah, you should read it. It's amazing. I mean, I think um, perhaps when you read it, you'll think, why are they trying to develop this? Because it's basically got enough ideas for three films in it. You know, it's oh, not great. an easy adap- adaptation at all. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, so what we're writing is so um, altered from the actual book in a way. Are you um, able to get the rights from that? You know, How did that process go? Oh yeah, no, we, yeah, we've got the, yeah, we've got the rights to it. Um, cool. Um, yeah, that's the first thing that happened. Actually, we, we once worked on a, a sci-fi documentary series here in the UK many years ago. And the guy who wrote and presented that show incredibly intelligent um well-read and knowledgeable sci-fi nerd um like us and he's the author okay and so, perfect um he i think you know the book reads a bit like a first novel in that it's just so full of all the ideas that he's ever had i think about <laughs> to put into a sci-fi mm-hmm. it's an embarrassment of riches but it does, it, it is a difficult book then to adapt because it's very hard to throw some of it away. And it's also very hard to find a um, a simple spine inside. But I think we've, we've, we've managed to do that, but it's it wasn't, <laughs> as our first film, perhaps it wasn't the most logical. How about episodic, shots. you know, like kind of what they're doing with like True Detective and stuff where you have 12 episodes explaining a world seems to be the go for a lot of material now yeah, in this not, medium. It's not, it's not that it's a long story. It's just got so much detail in it. Okay. You know what I mean, so I don't think that would necessarily be the case either. I'll have to read it uh, and get a sense for it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, otherwise we wouldn't have <laughs> bothered with it, but I think, you know, and this is a lofty thing to say, and I'm not trying to say that we are this, but it's the equivalent of, our adaptation this is the difference between blade runner and do androids dream of electric sheep like gotcha. the two are very they're different very different they're from the same well but they're different you know yeah and one is completely different have, yeah yeah 
Sorry, what were you saying? Even if it had less ideas in it. Well, even if the book actually had less ideas in it and had a really obvious narrative, I think you've always got to, you know, they're two totally different mediums, so you've always got to uh, change it, I think. A, a lot of adaptations fail because they're too faithful to the book. And yes. it doesn't actually make for a good cinema experience. I think it's you have to acknowledge and respect the medium which you're approaching, you know. So it's like... Um, you know, you take precision mathematical art that's produced by a machine and then you try to, I don't know, spray paint that, it would be kind of difficult. So you have to respect the, the, the medium in which you're using and, you know, use the strengths and weaknesses of both. So, yeah, you've got, to, yeah. you've got to respect books, you know, these th- things that books, no, uh, that no, literature no. can do. That, books suck, <laughs> <not joking. laughs> um, that, that There should be the preserve of books, you know, and so you've, but the, and the same is true of film. And so you've got to find a way of, you know, migrating the things, ideas, changing them. Yeah. Um, and anyway. one, one thing you guys have is a really amazing blog of, of re- reference information. I hadn't visited it in a while and Andrew just reminded me and I'm like, Oh, totally such great, awesome things. Cause, um, I'm obviously really into future technologies and artificial intelligence and then also the melding of visuals. And, um, a lot of the reference that you guys have here is really on par with the way my mind sees things. Um, what's this all about? Is it you guys just wanting to expose kind of the process of which you guys are diving into the world and the visuals and just the sensibilities and why share yeah, I mean, all this it wasn't, stuff? So. It wasn't meant to be shared necessarily when we started. It was a way of us Too bad, suckers. It. <laughs> <laughs> it was a way of um, us sharing it with each other. Okay. Um, so if I found something, I could put it on there and the other guys in China, and it would, and it was like a permanent um, record of it. So, cause we'd be constantly sort of saying, Oh, do you remember that thing we saw? What was that thing? Um, <laughs> this is before you know. Pinterest. This is before Pinterest <laughs> exactly. and private. But this it, if we'd been a bit smarter, we, we invented Pinterest when we started this blog. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was just a way of actually collecting all this stuff in one place. And in fact, we've got, um, two or three other ones that aren't public that are for other projects. Um, but I guess we decided not to make them public because maybe that was, maybe those things won't come to pass <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you don't want to embarrass yourself. Sure. Definitely. But, but then, I- yeah, people started to pay attention to it a little bit and, uh, you know, respond to it, which was kind of cool. There's definitely, what do you think of this whole hive mind thing that's going on with everybody that how much information is exchanged and shared and, um, I, I'd find it to be really interesting. I'm always looking at it and from, you know, working on these big films and then working on smaller ones and my own personal ones. It's interesting. The what regurgitation are you talking, what are you of images. About when you say, when you say hive mind, are you talking about like crowdsourcing or testing ideas or are you just talking about the internet being a, um, a massive pool of information. Exactly. Well, it's both of those things. My viewpoint on it and the, when I'm talking about hive mind is, um, you know, I'll create something and you'll create something, but they're similar because we have oh, a see. similar pool, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's probably, I would hope that's less, less likely to happen in a way. Maybe it does. I don't know. It's hard no, to it's say. Definitely, I mean, I, it's re, there's a lot of regurgitation. Um, whereas yeah, when people would have to go to the library and find some obscure book and then connect that well, with something I'm, that they're I'm using their imagination to, to remember life books? before the internet 
<laughs> me too. Me too, man. It's 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 weird now the 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 speed of things, but I look back and I go, well, it's just like a weird repetition error that's occurring, and there's a lot of um, redundancies and um, copycats and stuff. And I don't think it's intentional. It's just you know, mm. if everybody's pulling from one feed, then you know, if all you're looking at is black images, you're going to make a black image, but that other person is looking at the black images too. They're going to make a black image, you know? So I just find it to be kind of fascinating and really interesting. I guess it depends. Like, I think if you, you know, my advice on that is to not look at the pool that you're in. Do you see what I mean? So to to go to the library, (laughs) you know, I, I no, but I try to look at things that are, um, unrelated to what I do as my influences, as opposed to um, watching other people's music videos. I yeah. think watching other people's music videos is inbreeding. Yes, that's what and, I mean. It's an inbreeding. Um, yeah. So I think if you look at blogs, say, that are doing things that are too similar to what you do yourself, then it's you, you're going to paint yourself into a corner there. I think it's much, you've got to cast wider and then those things indirectly will trickle through into your work and make your work more interesting and different. Um, but yeah, only looking at what your sort of, um, neighbors are doing is not very healthy at all. Yeah. I think like you said, the inbred is a perfect way of looking at it. And it's the word that describes it from my viewpoint, you know? So I think that's a, just an interesting viewpoint to, to have. I think, I think it's, it's for me, I fight that every day and I think, well, it's good to be aware. Um, you know, like, um, Justin Cohn, who's started Motionographer, which is a very dominant website in our industry. Um, Justin's awesome. The website's awesome, but I've had to kind of disconnect myself mentally from that feed of information just because, I had to go and jump into other things and I'd go look at really old animations or shadow yeah. puppetry or just something weird that comes from a weird era that's totally different. Um, but at the same time, it's really, it's challenging not to say, you know, not to go look at that stuff because a lot of it's really beautiful and really um, inspiring. You know, um, Raul Marx just released that thing he did for semi-permanent. He did it like mostly, I think himself. And I'm right. like, Oh man, like I really need to learn oct- octane now. And like, um, I just really love what he was doing with that piece. And there was so much cool stuff going on there. It was really inspiring, but I think I had to separate and go, okay, I'm inspired now, but then I need to make sure that I'm writing yeah, my own I mean, course. You, you, I think you've got to, you do have to look at contemporary work and also slightly keep abreast of what's going on in the world, but not that alone, you know? Yeah. That's, that's where it goes wrong is that people are interested in new shit and the latest thing to come out, regardless of um, the quality. I mean, yep. I could spend I could spend the rest of my life watching films that were made um, before today, not watch any new films ever again, you know, all films from the past, and get to the end of my life and not have watched them all. It's like, an, uh, you know, so, there's so much material out there, but people yep. are only seemingly interested in the thing that's just come out. Um, whether it's good or not. Also, I think like on the internet is definitely, and certainly in music videos, and there's, um, he's, <laughs> I'm sort of, uh, I'm throwing stones here when maybe I shouldn't because, you know, on the one hand I've sort of said, well, we 
our background and our genesis was that we could afford computers that could do complicated stuff, you know, that we were made, that were made cheaply. Um, but I think it, these days there's a, a lot of people who have got access to um, software and equipment to make stuff, but it's, that doesn't mean to say it's any good. So there's a lot of people making shit basically and fair enough it's a democratic world (laughs) (laughs) wading wading through that stuff to find the good stuff is it's just fucking impossible yeah it is you know and 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 you know that sounds really that's why like rotten tomatoes thrives and stuff like that thrives you know yeah exactly uh but it's and that sounds really harsh and it sounds like i'm just not being honest artist but i think like you could give me a pile of bricks and say make a house. Well, just because I've got the bricks doesn't mean to say I'm going to build a good house. It's going to be rubbish because I don't know what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? That's the analogy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a great <laughs> but, analogy. But it's, it seems like um, you're not allowed to say that about other artists. But a lot of music videos are all, all manner of bits of art that I see. It's just rubbish. And, yeah. you know. It's very transparent and, and disposable. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's challenging, and though. Something like, say, you mentioned Pinterest. Then I got, we were doing some research for like a commercial we were uh, writing a treatment for. I, I lost a day to Pinterest. I went, <laughs> I just started going into it. It's fucked. And I came out the other end, my eyes had gone gray. And <laughs> and, and I'd, I'd aged 10 years. And <laughs> yeah, um, it's fucked. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't actually got anything. I maybe got saved three images. how many times did you get distracted scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and clicking and closing and going and going and going and i was just like i'm just swimming in a sea of shit here (laughs) yeah it's interesting not healthy if that's your if pinterest uh, is your source do you mean your your influences you're fucked well i have like that's a prime example i mean like my friend uh bradley g monk um he he his one of his main sources is uh pinterest you know like that's his thing like sorry man he, if you're listening no but that's but well you know what <laughs> we're saying now his. he's got a really good i've seen he, he's he's got some oh you're backtracking now stick to no, your I'm guns no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just fucking with you no but um you know there's there, <laughs> we, i'm we, sure we t- like a lot of the things that he posts aren't actually from pinterest right same um, as our sort of uh, I'm not sure. I think it's a bit of shared in a mix, you know, like that's what I was getting at with your blog is, is, um, I can feel the essence of what you guys are going after because you're not just looking at what Pinterest is feeding you. You're looking at scientific blogs or, um, random articles from some old thing. And it's just these images that you're enjoying and sharing. And, um, the palette is really unique, you know, whereas, um, I, it's, you know, in Pinterest, you'll have like these main images that are shared millions of times. And then all of a sudden, like the next three commercials to come out, they all have that inspiration, quote unquote, you know, and like you said, it becomes very inbred, you know, sometimes you can get lucky on Pinterest, like say you want to research fuzzy felt. (laughs) <laughs> right i don't know sure. where that came from <laughs> well i well you know every morning i wake up and i go with pinterest and i research <laughs> yeah, fuzzy felt because i'm wondering what's the newest thing so yeah exactly i'm totally just saying because that's probably exactly the sort of thing you can find on pinterest the second instance you want to research <laughs> fuzzy felt, yeah but you're pretty much guaranteed there's some bozo on there who's saved a hundred fuzzy felt images well it's like <laughs> a fast track to like finding that stuff 
Yeah. You know? So if you're looking for something very specific, uh, I think it can sort of work quite well. But yeah, yeah, we don't, you know, probably nothing on our our blog is actually from Pinterest itself. It's Which more is fascinating you know, though, because a lot of the stuff that you have on here is very unique and has the essence of things from the internet. I just thought it was really interesting though. Yeah, how you pull in for inspiration and stuff. Whereas, um, uh, no, I know what you're saying as well about motionographer because a lot of those sort of aggregators too. And I'm yes. not having a diss at motionographer. I'm just mentioning no. them because um, you did. But like a lot of those um, blogs, um, they just say, "This is great." Next, this yeah. is great. Next, and there's no actual criticism or even any. Um, you know, discussion about why it's great. It's just, this is great. That's hard to do though on the internet. Wouldn't you think though? It's hard to analyze and then read into things. And you know, when you read an email, so if you have an argument, like um, you have an argument over email, it's like 20 times worse because you're reading that person's word as a fucking asshole, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then it becomes (laughs) compound. And then all you want to do is just attack them, you know? But I think actually, What's interesting about this is um, the platform that we have now, which is like an open discussion, a podcast discussing and analyzing things is a, is a little bit better. Mm. It's moving. You know, you're completely yeah. on the other side of the world and you're doing something different on a, a different time zone. But we can connect and discuss like very complicated subjects within our um, our industry, if you want to call it that, um, and articulate what's yeah, right. I'm just wrong, bemoaning so. the fact that there's there's no no opinion and no journalism um, and no actual aggregation being done, you know, and I definitely like I've been on, you know, at the starting end of something where <clears throat> we've had a video or something come out and I have had a hand in writing the press release or whatever it is, or maybe I've just put a tweet out about it. But then what I'll see is that on like countless blogs, it's just verbatim cut and paste. So in fact, you know, this is my tip if you want to, put something out on the web, you just put, wow, you've got to check out this video. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen and the link to your video. And then that will just get copied and pasted around the world and people <laughs> think that is written by the person who's written the blog. And it's just not true at all. Yeah, that's it's just really lazy. It's just Copy like a machine, a conveyor belt of like new stuff coming through all the time. And occasionally, you know, um, there are um some decent people out there um like uh, there's a, a girl called liver it's nice that who wrote a really nice thing about our music video and it wasn't it doesn't have to be like the most intellectual thing ever she was just really honest and actually wrote something that were her own words and that's all i'm asking for really is that actually people respond it, the internet seems to be much more of a just a pipe through which crap is flowing. What well, can be very disingenuous. Yeah, yeah, but actually, it's a platform for people to say, you know, I'd rather read your opinion even if I don't agree with it um, than than just you copy and pasting a press release. So I mean, it's more it's more useful to me to uh, hear someone else's voice than to you know, just say this is great. Link. It's just pointless. Yeah. Well, yeah, it can be kind of like, well, to go back to the other part of the conversation too, where you'd say you could sit and watch all films your whole life and, you know, 80 or 90% of that would be a wasted time because most of it's just dribble. Um, But then these sites and these things, I think, exist because of that um, to try and help 
steer and direct things but i see what you're saying it becomes a disingenuine exchange um where nothing really means anything and it's just kind of like this evolved um exchange of just stuff um without yeah and i'm not um, i'm not i'm not actually looking to looking for someone to um shape my opinion for me that's not what i want either i can i can look at something and decide whether or not i like it or not that's not Sure. Issue. I'm just saying well, you're there's, an articulated no, there's no self, though. Yeah, but anyone, uh, every, everyone has an opinion and a taste. I'm just saying that most people who do these blogs, on the most part, but there are exceptions, um, they don't seem to have. There's no discourse. You know, sometimes you get it in, um, you know, discussion forums. You know, but often they descend into just. You know, people making snidey remarks at each other. It's sure. just such a shame. You've got this amazing tool where you can talk all over the planet about something and and have the opinion of all these different voices, but all you get are people talking about sticking dicks in your ears. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what I want to hear. About, about the stupid comment you just made. Sure. Well, I think we also, one of the key things is to... Um, um, and uh, accept that it's not the same as what we were used to, which is communication on a very personal face-to-face level, whereas like text messaging, for example, is very disingenuous, um, it, but it gets the point across. It's not the same thing, and it has to be acknowledged as not the same thing, but it becomes uh, completely a different uh, way of communicating. And mm. I think you just have to use the tool for what it is, you know. Um, and if you're trying to get in genuine ness i don't know if that's a word off of the internet i think it's 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 hard to find it's very hard you know i think it's it's, it's, the internet's matured into an actual sort of platform of of any use yet uh, yeah spreading stuff around quickly and it it totally has its tool set i think and total has totally has its use but at the same time it's very distracting uh i always equate this to one of my favorite films i grew up with which which is the labyrinth and uh it's always funny i always laugh when i say that but it's a great film i'm sure you've seen it right yeah of course in the scene where she goes to that room in the garbage you know and it's all her shit and it looks just like her room but she knows it's not you know and (laughs) breaking through that reality and seeing it's all just a bunch of garbage and she has to keep going forward i think that's where i'm getting at with the threshold of um it's and it's kind of a cynical way of looking at it and i don't want to be negative about it because there are some really great things that occur but like you know the case study of facebook for example all these mini celebrities everybody's this important celebrity and that's what it that's what it's design is basically it's like be a mini celebrity um yeah and the selfie like i cannot wait for that word to die i hate that word so much so i'm totally ranting now i apologize i'm ruining ruining your podcast <laughs> no, yeah, I, mean, and I, my don't I don't know i don't know where, how we've ended up going down this avenue we are angry but, and that's that people no, yeah <laughs> fuck off no, this is no. our chance to talk shit <laughs> no it's, it's 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 a part of it though i think what it's a part of you know you said there's an uncomfortable honesty that is getting diminished in a lot of these things and it's important to do you know it's important to convey these things yeah exactly well you know i think it um it matters to me because i spend most of my time browsing the web rather than working but also that's the platform on which most of what i do appears and i'm always just I, i think i preferred it in the days when there wasn't an internet and we would just put it out and it would appear on tv 
but we we wouldn't know about it and there'd be no comments or anything about it it's just out there in the world um i think yeah i just the the culture that's um the platform as it stands i think just needs to be i don't know i did how can it become the thing that i want it to be i don't think it ever can can it uh no it can't be the the authentic thing that you're after which is like authenticity and face-to-face i think only the way that that's going to happen is like incredibly high level vr and that's tapping into like you know a full plug-in what do you think andrew i mean andrew's pretty andrew's younger and we always have these arguments and conversations because he has a completely different viewpoint on it because he's like an internet baby (laughs) right so what do you think about this i mean i i don't necessarily think that the, the internet as a whole isn't achieving these things because i mean there is some pretty good discussion going on regularly about like films and books and news but for the most part like our industry it's like relatively like there's not as much of a reason to get as involved like a film versus like a title sequence i think has a lot more to analyze and critique i guess so i think that people are either just saying Oh, that's good, or oh, that sucks. It's instead of yeah, devoting. There's not nothing to actually talk about with half. Yeah, of it. I mean there there is, but it's not it's not as apparent of a community devoted to these discussions. So mm. I don't know. I think it's just it's it's on its way. I guess. I mean, it's definitely better than it was, even considering how relatively ridiculous the comment scenes on YouTube and Vimeo are. But like. <laughs> outlets like motionographer like for example ash the thing that we did with fitc like there was a whole write-up on that and there's a there it usually when people do write-ups for pieces like that are title sequences or music videos or something they're usually positive because slander in this industry is relatively rare i think like yeah but yeah I think, also i think also i think if you're if you're running a site that is a has a specialism in a certain um, area that's because you're in love with that specialism mm. um so sure you don't, you don't tend to criticize it so much yeah completely like you try to find the best thing about it because you want to celebrate the medium as a whole i guess yes exactly yeah and that's what that but is actually, that actually, side actually is actually though, think so. holding some things up to account and and discussing why things don't work is as important that's a great as valid just, point uh, as just saying this is great, this is great, and this is also great. Mm. Because they don't ever really analyze why things are great. They just say, oh, these are cool. So there should be another section of that site, this is shit. And then they'll just be like, this is shit, and why is this is shit, and why you should stop yeah, doing that. Yeah, run it. do that. Why not? Wow, that would be so you, ballsy. You get, you get that in um, literary um, reviews. That's because the books are older, though, I think, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, sure, there's a, there's a, that one movie critic, uh, Armand White, has made a career off of just being the anti-opinion. <laughs> yeah, but, he, but he's not the guy. Though. Yeah, I don't know about. Yeah, critics, but isn't he so. the guy who sort of doesn't he sort of deliberately take the opposite view of everyone? Just yeah, to, that might, like just that's really annoying. The, the most outrageous opinion possible. <laughs> yeah, and that's just people wanting attention. No, I think what we're talking yeah. about is constructive, yeah. like constructively yeah. saving yeah. things based off of like. But the problem is, is one you might think something's crap, and I might think it's great. And uh, the art of subjection is really where things get blurry. And I think that's 
that's really why that doesn't really exist. And it, when it does, it gets controversial. And then people are using it as an attention thing. I also to bring up another movie is like Ratatouille, for example, like when the ego guy is describing kind of his final analysis of the Ratatouille, the restaurant and all that stuff. Um, he was saying, no, it's easy to be a critic. You know, all you have to do is you just, you know, you kind of just be kind of an asshole leech and you just have your opinion. <laughs> and, um, therefore you're not really doing anything either, but, I think it's almost like it should be like working professionals and their opinions of these things in a very constructive way, um, destroying then rebuilding, I guess. But that's a lot of time. That's mm. a lot of, that's a lot of work in itself, you know? And that's all, again, it's all opinions. I, I might hate something, you might love it. And it's like Andrew and I constantly have arguments about movies because we have completely different tastes, you know? So mm. yeah, I you think can, another, you, but you can, you can listen to a review and disagree with the reviewer. That's okay. Totally. But it's, it's more to be interesting. Mature, though, though. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's part of it, though, is that uh, if you came out and, and said, oh, I don't think this film's any good on the internet, you would get at least a lot of people sending you death threats sure. due to the sort of Bullshit. medium. Whereas yeah. if, you, if you were a journalist and you wrote the same review in a newspaper, you know, you might get an angry letter sent in, I suppose, but it's sort of. And maybe that's part of it. It's the the medium itself. Yeah. I think something holding it back too is just the sheer amount of new content that's produced on a daily basis. Like kind of prevents anyone from taking, like where do you draw the line to actually review something? Like if you go on Vimeo and you see a thousand different commercials came out yesterday, which one do you say, oh, I want to write a opinion piece about that one? Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's just too fuzzy kind of. It's it's not as the it's not as distinct as like a film or a book where they're like very long processes that have been that have achieved this one final. There are goal. tons of books that come out though too, so it's yeah, a matter of finding that true. out too. And a lot yeah. of things, you know, even if to use a case and study is like um Game of Thrones for example was like an old book, not really old, but it was an old series that was kind of left and forgotten and then maybe some you know studio executive i don't know the whole story about who found what but you know discovered it and then it became this huge show for hbo you know so it's kind of like a weird matter of chance too it's a it's a very this is a very interesting topic of conversation though because it's very relevant as far as how we're consuming things and the way that we're consuming them and how fast they are and it, it blows my mind because um, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are students and up and coming right. artists. And it's, I always try to bring these things up because it's something for everybody to think about, especially if you're up and coming, you know, where you're getting your information from and how you dissect that. And yeah, it's, it's, it's important. It reflects your work. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, I definitely found that, you know, when I was re- working really hard, I didn't really have the time to look at the internet. And then I would go back to my sort of blog reader and it would say, I had a thousand, I think it used to say like, you've got a thousand plus um, things to, to read. Uh-huh. Just a, a thousand that just gives up, ca- gives up counting. Yeah. And I just think, oh, fucking hell. Oh my God. You know, and <laughs> I feel, feel the need to look at these things. And, and, I've, and I've actually managed to sort of take it out of my life because it was becoming a chore. And, and it felt like I needed to keep abreast of all these blogs and um, Twitter accounts and what have you. Um, and actually it's been quite liberating over the last year. I've barely looked at them. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading more books because I've got a bit more time. It's a better use of my time, I think. 
And yeah. Well, I guess it just decided, and like I was going to say earlier too, is you're a very unique case study where you're a director and you've been doing this for quite a long time and you have a completely different um, viewpoint, aesthetic and, and, and um, kind of list of things that you really excite you, you know? Um, it's very to hard like for me Andrew to imagine or, what it would have been like um, if we'd had the internet when we were at college. Well, I mean, yeah. we, we, we did, it came in when we were at college. I remember going on it for the first time and it was like, it was just text, like one of those text adventure games, and like you know? one awesome porn picture. <laughs> oh my god! And it would in load in those. Looking at that porn again. It's loading. It used to be you could go on a computer in the library, and you could book it for an hour at a time, and that was the internet back then. Um, but yeah, it's hard to imagine what it would be like. Um, I don't feel like, you know, obviously artists existed and did very well, thank you very much, before the internet. So I don't think you need it actually as a source of inspiration necessarily. I think you can actually do without it very well. I guess it just Would depends on what advice. you're trying to do. Yeah, and yeah. like you said, when you're really busy working and you're actually making content um, for your own process, you're not really looking at it and using it. I think um, that is the danger. I think you be, you can basically spend all your time looking at other people's content yes. and not doing anything yourself. AKA the Pinterest experiment that you experienced. I had the same thing. I'm like, oh, and then I got out of it. I was like, I, I was like Neo at the Matrix. I plug <laughs> <laughs> myself from the Matrix uh, Pinterest, and, and and I get inspired, but my brain is totally shattered, and I'm scattered all over the place with what I want to do and how I want to approach things because. Uh, there's so many things that I love and I'm so into so many things, you know, so I had a similar experience as, as you did. And yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it would be really cool to someday have a conversation with like us and uh, the rest of your crew and maybe even have G Monk on. Cause I know he's a huge advocate for that, you know, but I know that right. he is always constantly spinning into his, into his own realm. You know, he's, he's a different type of creative, you know? So Yeah different different access to things what are some of the books that are um like some of your favorite books or more influential books that you've read over time my god you're kidding Uh, (laughs) i don't read books now (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know the red men obviously go buy a copy red man obviously (laughs) i've i sort of uh, in the last 10 years i've sort of mostly stopped reading fiction which is weird Hmm. I don't read hardly any fiction anymore. I read to my kids, so that's my fill of fiction. That's cool. Um, except they've got into Beast Quest at the moment, which is awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a chore to read it. But I really love all the old. Did you know this guy called Steig? His books are amazing. No. Um, How you spell it? Um, uh, S-T-E-I-G. Um, I, could, I should write. I should start a blog about kids' books because I'm – I'd love to. I'm, I'm, I'm reading The Hobbit right now. I'm reading The oh, Hobbit really? to my yeah, daughter yeah. right now, and she's 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 How enjoying old's your daughter? it. She's ten years old. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. My, my kids have had The Hobbit, and how old are they now? Harry, Harry Potter six and four. Six and four. Okay, yeah. We we good. give them quite advanced stuff. We I took them to see um, Jurassic World the other day. Oh yeah, <laughs> my four year old freaks out. Oh wow, yeah, <laughs> I would imagine. That's, you might imagine. I've, I haven't seen it, but I imagine it's got like the velociraptors <laughs> well, and, then, and stuff. You know what? It's pretty. Well, there's a death in the middle of it, which is absolutely fucking spectacular, amazing. Um, <laughs> the, be- the best thing in the film for me. Um, I, w- I don't want to give it away, but um, it's a it's a small character that gets killed, but in such an amazing way. 
Mm. Um, but it's very, um, you know, it's a 12A, so it's it's pretty mild on the, um, you know, on the violence and what have you. Sure. Um, and if I asked my six-year-old afterwards, oh, what did you think then? Was that scary? And he goes, the thing I found scary, I'm trying to not give away any spoilers here too, but there's a, a bit where a guy runs up to a, a car and slams his hand against the window and says, get out of here. And he had blood on his hand. Yeah. And that was the bit that scared my six-year-old the most, not the fucking giant <laughs> dinosaur. He's got a, afraid of actual, <laughs> he's actually afraid of real things. That's what it is. A, a human being, which is far more scary than anything else in this world <laughs> with blood on his hands. So he knows he's smart. He's like, I know the intention, what's going on here. They're yeah. interesting though, my kids, in terms of like you're talking about being a, like an internet baby, you know, being of a certain age and growing up with the internet. But my kids, we don't have a TV, so we stream TV, you know, on a on a laptop. But most, like if we go to someone's house and like say their grandma's house and she puts on the TV for them, the adverts come on and they, they look at me and they're going, what's this? <laughs> That's Where's so cool. Where's the show gone? Yeah. Where, they don't understand it at all. Or they'll put, you know, um, the TV on and say, we want to watch Spider-Man. I'm like, well, that's not really, you kind of, it's whatever's on really. It's kind of what you've got to watch. <laughs> they're, they're all, this isn't convenient. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is bullshit. Their norm is on demand. Wow. And also, you know, mostly, most of the TV that I let them watch, they just choose stuff off of um, YouTube. Hmm. So uh, what were they watching today? They were watching some X-Men cartoon from the 80s, <laughs> some weird shit that even I haven't seen. And then, then tomorrow they'll be watching some old Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon. Oh, awesome! They're not, they're not sort of, um, they're not watching what everyone else is is watching. If you're sitting down and watching TV, so yeah. I don't know what it's doing to their brains. They haven't got a clue, you know, what they think if they even know what TV is. Really, that's so interesting. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, everyone grew up watching like the same shows, and I'm sure it was the same for you guys too. But now it's completely just fragmented and kids are going to grow up not having that sense of the same do you watch do you watch shit. tv i don't watch tv I, i'll watch i watch television programs but i'll stream them yeah same but i mean like when bro- you're when you're growing up and you all watch like everyone comes to school the next day like oh did you see like hey arnold or whatever then you talk about that episode and it's yeah. kind of but if you like watching when you grow up with the internet as a kid you can watch like you said something from the 80s just as yeah. much as you watch something from yesterday so it's it's that we that sense of this shared nostalgia is getting like fragmented i think which is kind of well cool. you, yeah but then the, you know they drip feed say um game of thrones and so yeah. everyone talks about that in the same way did you see did you see it last night and if you haven't seen it you feel the need to see it so you can keep up with everyone it's the same exactly the same thing and True. they're quite canny in sort of um you know drip feeding it to their audience i think Mm. yeah it's interesting it's a very interesting way of uh, how this stuff is all kind of working in this day and age but mm. what are okay you went on on a tangent you're like me <laughs> you're just like me we jumped all over the place but this the was, wasn't this meant favorite to be books about from you oh, favorite, yeah, favorite books yeah. from you now and we have like i apologize i have to jump away in 10 minutes so i want to make sure we get there's so much stuff i wanted to talk to you about um but we'll we'll, we'll have to do part two if you would allow it uh, another time um but yeah um but, i don't know what my favorite I, that's an impossible question for me to answer in terms of sure um what my favorite books are 
all time are i'll tell you what i'm reading at the moment i'm reading um the story of film oh, okay. by mark cousins which is amazing um i'm reading let me just hold on a minute i'll go grab it <clears throat> sorry that's right i'm also reading this book of italian folk tales selected and retold by i don't know how you say his name italo calvino who's an author an italian author cool which is amazing um and I've been trying to read the Malcolm Gladwell book um, for ages. <laughs> the best thing I've read in a while was I read this book called Conversations with Orson Welles. Have you seen that book? No. It's like no transcripts, mostly with this guy he used to hang out with. It was in his la- mostly in his latter years when he was sort of fat and bitchy. But it's such, <laughs> it's, and it's such good reading. It's very hard to put down. It's called Conversations with awesome welds i think it's called that's where, really where good. are you getting a lot of your information your books and stuff what do you mean ebay yeah <laughs> so, yeah mostly yeah so you just like one book refers you to the next and then you kind of buy like that i guess so yeah i mean i think um i think the awesome wells one i i think i read about that somewhere and then i heard one of the guys who writes peep show do you know that show peep show no never seen it's like it. a british comedy show um one of the writers then recommended it oh, i thought well okay then i've got to get it because if he says it's good it's good awesome it, um yeah mostly recommendations of people yeah I, that's what that's how i do i do all amazon or like audible stuff um but this is so it's my lunches with orson is that what it's called? That's it. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I got the That's link too. Cause we share these links and everything with people oh, too, okay. so they can get access to this information. Oh, well I'll, I'll give you some, I'll give you some links to some cool style books. If there's any listeners who've got kids, most of the listeners are probably too young to have kids. Yeah. I would love to, cause I'd love to, I'm, we're going to go through the Hobbit and then uh, I told uh, Kira that we're going to go and move into Harry Potter land next. So Okay, um, cool. I'm not giving her a choice actually. I'm just dictating <laughs> the situation. <laughs> it's kind of fucked up at the same time. Like you got to do that sometimes as a parent, like, you know, this is what's up, you know, like Justin Bieber doesn't know shit. So, well, I'm looking forward to it. There's a, like, there's quite a few classic books that I'd never read as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That's I'm a- look, really looking forward to reading to my kids. So I get to read them myself. It's a very special thing you do with your kids too. I think is a very unique thing. You know, it's, it's a very um, an old tradition of humans to exchange stories, you know? So it's very old style, which I think is great. No, I, yeah. Reading is super important. I think for human beings, it's <laughs> how, how you, how you, you know, uh, it's your intake for most information. Just this like, yeah, I just so finished. That, oh, go ahead. It's, but it's depressing. There's so many kids who, leave school and aren't that you know it can't actually read that well that's just you you've kind of fucked your life i think at that point if you can't read very well i'm yeah. not talking about dys- dyslexic people i'm not having to go <laughs> yeah yeah oh, i'm actually tackled. dyslexic too yeah but i had a hard time with it growing up and actually it was in like special education growing up because i had a hard time it's funny now the person i am kids now are kids are lucky now yeah how old are you 32 because so did you get so you had the education as a special education as a kid they recognized it early on did they yeah that are you joking no i'm serious no they had the dyslexia <laughs> right. they like the, the whole dyslexia thing i would say see things upside down right side up all over the place right, okay 
because I think you're lucky because I think if you if you're a bit older, hmm. I think um, people didn't it wouldn't. My dummy, read it, dummy. But exactly, and yeah. then you wouldn't be able to, and you wouldn't be given any special help. Yeah, and then those people really struggle in later life. You know, That's people incredibly of a unfortunate. generation. Yeah, you need that help because reading is so important. Well, that's why I said, like, I think it's really awesome and unique as a as a father and a parent to read to your children because it's a very special it's a special thing to do. Um, I got really inspired. I was reading um, a book, uh, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, and the author <laughs> the the story yeah, okay. the, and he how he reads to his son. He reads these really kind of heavy books, and his son asks a million questions. They go through like two pages a night, but. I just thought to myself, that's really great. And my daughter's very um, sharp and very, um, she likes, loves, loves to dig into things and ask questions. So, um, but the Hobbit's very straightforward. So it's kind of like my entry point and the Harry Potter would be next. And then after that, I'm going to get into a little deeper, you know, grounds. I suppose. Yeah. I'm going to do, you know, sex <laughs> violence and fucking inbreeding and all that stuff. That's, I think she'll be ready. So, yeah. <laughs> well, by the time we get through fucking Harry Potter, she'll be like a teenager, like a full blown. So maybe we can handle such things. <laughs> I wanted to kind of talk to you. I was, I just finished listening to, um, Elon Musk's biography, which is fucking awesome. And the guy's crazy. Um, but he, I remember <laughs> hearing an interview from him about his fear of AI and knowing, how kind of involved and researched you guys are on our artificial intelligence just from outside of seeing how you guys are developing your films and stuff. What's your thoughts on it, on AI? Um, I think that it's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. That stuff. I don't so? think because they're so far behind. Yeah. They don't, they, no one knows how a human brain works at all. So how are they going to make, a more intelligent one. It will be a different type of brain, you know? Sure. Um, and if they ever can make a human brain, then it will be as dangerous as other humans, I would say. So yeah. <laughs> well, but then it'd be the manufactured humans. then, right? And it'd be <laughs> yeah. a complete, it'd be, it'd be a you know, much, you get what you deserve. Thing. I would say probably. <laughs> well, people yeah. kill each other all the time right so well when yeah. i heard that elon was had seen something and then it, f- it shook the fear and of light god in, in him i was like uh-oh like what did he see because he could see things behind the curtain you know beyond us normal people and if he said he was afraid i'm like what the fuck's going on here <laughs> i think yeah. the thing about um you know what, what firstly doesn't matter who I think even Stephen Hawking sort of came out and said, oh, we should be afraid of AI. Now, as someone who's mostly seen as one of the most, if not the most intelligent people on the planet, says, uh-oh, and, but they carry on making them anyway. And <laughs> that just goes to show that no one's going to better stop the pursuit of AI. So you just better get used to the fact that it's going to happen. Yes. Um, Embrace else? it. <laughs> Embrace it, basically, yeah. Well, but there's no way the, of fighting that, I think, right? No, but the curiosity is way too big. The actual fear of it really is that no one really knows what's, what it's going to be. Sure. And they don't know um, what they're going to find out about ourselves, if it if it in some way resembles us, or if it's going to be different and what that's going to mean. Um, but that, you know, you could level those sort of criticisms um, at medicine, you know, sure. um, but good things come out of it. Bad things can happen too, but you know, it depends what the intentions are. Sure. <laughs> people, people are trying to make 
like a super intelligent war machine yeah yeah what the <laughs> hell man like come on guys stop with that that's stuff. not what that's not what they're trying to do you know yeah well you never know it's it's you know the same thing with like einstein's ability and what he created you know unintentionally but unintentionally you know so i just a, think it's kind of weird that, that that was getting so much you know because it didn't hadn't escaped my attention him saying that yeah um that, that was given so much um column inches you know when there's far more worse shit going on in the world right now sure you know sure. all perpetrated by humans um you know the idea that something bad might happen with a computer in 10 years time just like, <laughs> like that right yeah. does it matter because humans are already fucked we need to sort out actually what's going on right now sure, sure. <laughs> stop worrying about what might happen in 10 years with your bloody computer just <laughs> you know i wish he'd come out you know all, all these people were spending more time so <laughs> yeah definitely and that's Think valid about those things that's valid too i mean somebody's using a f- cell phone with internet technology to kill somebody you know or to assign somebody to to dismiss somebody's life or something you know right now in this exact moment i'm sure you know or a drone or you know something like that so there's if, far- i read a story just the other day and, and i can't remember the exact uh, details of it but it's true i promise and um how do you they, know <laughs> they thrown, your sources no. <laughs> they've thrown some um scientific or perhaps mathematical problem at an artificial intelligence and it solved it but that like to me is the future hopefully of ai where it there can actually go. um invent new medicines or make discoveries faster yeah. than than we can and it'd be actually useful to us you know there's there's people aren't thinking about the actual purposes of ai they're just thinking about terminator because they've seen that film yeah well of course you know like we talked about earlier like we can only consume what we've seen unless you have an imagination which is a design thing that you've discovered and built and developed as you you know age through time yeah so, and that's 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 a completely different you know thing but that's really beautiful and that's awesome to hear that and that's one thing you know you think about diseases or um, cancer and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of that, if you can break that out into a formula and throw it through uh, an artificial intelligent uh, mind, a super mind, basically, and help it solve it, um, that's interesting. You know, well, I, I, to, I love to, the, try, try and, uh, to try and drag this conversation back around to being no, don't do this that. whole this whole <laughs> podcast to be anything to do with the Shinola at all, rather than just like <laughs> some Sorry. people ranting. Um, Sorry about that. that. Um, no, it's my fault. Um, that that Both is of one us. of the um, ideas, in a way, that went into Doctor Easy and the Red Men. Yeah, and, and that was that the we were kind of just sick of seeing films where guess what the the robots got evil intentions. Yeah, like it's just it's the same every film. Guess what? Two thousand and one is like very old now. I don't even know what year that came out. <laughs> it's thirty years old, more than that, surely. It's um, yeah, it's about forty five, fifty it, years old, I think. Some crazy um, like that. You know, um that's an old idea. And so what we tried to do with Doctor Easy was that the robot is completely innocent and benign in terms of you know, it it doesn't hurt anyone, it has no um intent. I, in fact, I, funny enough, I got into an argument, and you can probably go, it's probably still there on our Vimeo page with someone saying, well, the robot should have just tricked him and um, injected him, uh, you know, put him to sleep. And that would have been the end of the 
that situation in that room. I'm just like, <laughs> well, not only would that make it a terrible film, yeah, the, the robot comes in and just drugs him, and that's the end. <laughs> that's, that's rubbish. It's so but awesome, also, <laughs> but also that 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 made no sense to me because of you know if you're going to build in reality a, a, a robotic doctor, you can't have it tricking you. It wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed to exist, and that's the thing about AI. I think as soon if you start if you make say a robotic doctor that's an artificial intelligence. The minute it starts to kill its patients or trick them, they'll just shut it down. People will stand for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's always got to be in service of humans and be um, benign. Um, it, it's absolutely foolish to try and um, um, imagine a, a situation where that would be the opposite would be allowed to happen. Yeah. yeah, that's a unique, it's a unique outlook. And that's one thing I really liked about what you guys are doing there with that, because yeah, the intention from a lot of these things is it's a, it's a violent thing, obviously, and the machine's bad and all that kind of stuff. So it's a unique thing. I think, um, I bring it up every show, people give me crap by now, but like Black Mirror, for example, is a really unique kind of like, uh, outlook, but it's obviously, uh, towards like the, um, like the fable, you know, like the, yeah. You know, the uh, don't touch that thing or don't do that. This is how close <laughs> we are to burning our hands, you know. So, but at the same time, that's entertaining because the what if in a negative way is, is a very interesting thing. But um, it is repetition and it's yeah, they kind tend of, to be quite satirical, don't they? Those, those shows in a way. Oh, yeah. No, Charlie is very not much necessarily, yeah. you know, uh, laugh out loud funny. It's my criticism, <laughs> like uh, our reliance on technology and you know, and what influence it has on our, on our lives. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, so let's, let's cap this off. I'm sorry. I have to jump off, but where, whereabouts is, uh, are things going for you guys and the company and like, where, what are we, what are your goals? I guess if you guys have any, um, moving forward for, you know, the next projects, you know, I think well, I, I know a, a couple, no, I know a little under, uh, outside perspective what's going on, but <laughs> love to hear from you what, where your guys' intentions are. So well, we're, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to make the red men. We're also trying to make, you know, and just get into making films, long form films. Um, we still love making music videos, but after a while it becomes, because they're fun, right? It's one of the best um, places to, uh, one of the best avenues in art where you can actually make money, <laughs> right? So because you just dream up some crazy shit and then they give you some money and you make it. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's very um, open and you can be quite experimental and it's kind of throwaway too. Obviously, it's not really music videos aren't going to be uh, put in any sort of time capsule. Um, yeah, you never know. You never know. Um, some of them, but, some of them really <laughs> smash out, you know. They, well, no, that, that, that's nostalgia rather than actual artistic worth, I would say. Um, shh, don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, they're really, they're really fun and they're very creative and you can constantly sure. doing new things. However, you know, our real desire is to tell longer form stories. That's much more of a challenge. You know, a film is astronomically hard to make, and that's what we want to do. So that's what we're trying to move towards all the time. Would you consider you know, making something like Utopia or Black Mirror? You guys self like your own episodic yeah. kind and of in thing. In fact, we're we're writing a treatment for a TV series at the moment too. That awesome. We've thought of. God knows if that will. I think you guys would do amazing. I think it would be really great. 
Well, we think so too. We'd love to be making a film. It's just, you know, I'm sure you know too, it's kind of like a it's a convoluted and fickle process. Getting it's fucking difficult. Film. Yeah, it's but, incredibly you know, difficult. I understand it because, you know, uh, that's the kind of almost the other end of the spectrum in a way because it's where it's the most expensive art to make, making a film. So, you know, because films cost millions of pounds or dollars to make. Yeah. Someone's got to pay for it. People want to see a return on that. So it's actually really where art and commerce sort of clash heads. Yeah. And I know you can make like cheap, um, small films, you know, that's totally um, feasible too. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, so, but it, yeah, it's tricky to, to get, to get everything in motion. And we're not used to that. It's quite, kind of frustrating for us. Yeah. Usually we get sent a song. We write some batshit crazy idea. They like it. A couple of weeks we're making it, <laughs> you yeah. know, and then you do it and then you put it out on the web and then you, you sort of move on. And to be sort of in the process of looking for funding and, you know, writing. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. It's just, wow. It seems it's a so long turkey. form. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's a, it's a long ride, but you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. No, I'm excited. I know a little bit about what's going on just from the outskirts, but it's really great. I'm excited. Well, there you go. I mean, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm excited for the next bit of content. I'm sure you guys make it. It's going to be great and looking forward to, you know, seeing it and enjoying it from we're the outside a, and not, and not having to do any deal. of the work and just enjoy it. So. <laughs> Thanks, man. We're making a music deal right now. Whether or not it'll actually come out, it must be seen because it's quite contentious. It's a, a story about two snipers um, <laughs> in a music that's, video. So we'll see. That's cool. <laughs> Awesome. We've got to find a window in world news where people are killing each other to release it. Oh no, that's <laughs> awesome! That'll never happen. <laughs> yeah, that'll exactly. never happen. Yeah, so just just release it anyways. Let it be what it is. But yeah, it's really it's um, probably our funniest video, I would say. <laughs> if you're a, if you're a sick fuck like I am. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you again, Kenny. I really appreciate it. No worries, man. And best yeah, of luck, and, and please send uh, magic, ma- ma- massive thank yous to the rest of your team, and just the, for all the inspiration and just doing great work. Really appreciate it. And that does it for this week's episode. Big thank you to Kenny for coming on and sharing his time with us this week. You can find links to Shinola's work in all of the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectedpodcast.com/slash one hundred and nine, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful. Be prolific. Peace out.